Dialogue Rewind, a podcast that turns back the clocks of the canon of films critics cast aside and prevents them from decaying in a cinematic morgue somewhere. I am Courtney Peranto. I'm Max Rue, and we're in week three of our month-long retrospective dedicated to framing a post-9-11 cinematic universe, which is, I think, our Marvel cinematic universe. That's <laughs> how I've chosen to look at it. Um, <laughs> and today's a very special day for me in particular because we get to talk about one of my all-time guys the late great tony scott been waiting for this day for so long we're discussing scott's penultimate films two terrorist themed thrillers that saw scott team up with his muse denzel washington first up it's the 2006 time-bending deja vu before we jump to 2009 for the denzel travolta remake of the 70s hostage thriller the taking of Pelham 123. And joining us once again on our journey, film journalist and overall very funny person, Abid Anwar. We're, we're, we're definitely switching genres around this time a lot. Because what, what were you on before? Oh yeah, it was Marie Antoinette and uh, A Knight's Tale. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these, these are, are not very... like those movies. <laughs> <laughs> this is whatever the opposite energy is of, of Marie Antoinette. They're not vibe movies. Like Marie Antoinette is like a vibe movie. Like I was like trying, even though I didn't love it, like this week I was like trying to get my coworkers to watch it. Right. Whereas these, like I would still totally try to get my coworkers to watch them, but like they're better than Vibe movies. They're just really fun. They're like a little mini yeah. roller coaster. It's a weird sell. I've tried to get people to watch it too. And they would start watching it. And I guess they would kind of go, they would get thrown off by the whole vibes of the whole situation. I guess they were expecting just some general period piece. You're just like the strokes and everything. And you're yeah. like, what's happening? So, but I... I think everyone that sticks to it is rewarded eventually. So I'm sure I'll revisit it at some point. But you're you're are you a Tony Scott fan? I know you're a deja vu fan. I, I am a Tony Scott fan. I well, so I I'm a sucker for a few things. Movies set in New Orleans, blue blue collar workers, like hundred percent. If he's doing that, I I'm 90% probably already gonna enjoy the movie, but I think he does really a good job of it. And I think I've always said that he's probably the best movie star who is associated with mostly playing working class roles. Mm. Denzel, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think he's probably the last one that's gonna be in that in that realm for a long time. I like Tony Scott's vibes for the most part. Um, there's some where I, I didn't click with, but yeah, Deja Vu. I mean, I and also, um, I know we're talking about Pelham later, but I, dig movies with trains too so anything with trains and moving or stopping so unstoppable is like the perfect fucking movie oh, yeah. for oh, you unstoppable is such a great note to go out on i mean obviously i wish that he he wasn't would have lived I, longer but i mean like i feel like that's like an incredible final movie oh uh, yeah yeah that's a, that's a definitely a vibe movie to me there's there's just a bunch of people vibing throughout. I think Tony Scott makes vibe movies. It's a very particular vibe. To me, like Tony Scott, I think I always associate with like, I feel like he he basically, I think, created the Jerry Bruckheimer touch. And I think that he helped kind of forge like what those movies would look like. Cause I feel like for so long, like, especially for me, like growing up in like the nineties and two thousands, like Tony Scott was looked at, I think for a long time, it's just like, Oh, he's just like a studio hire. He's a hack mm -hmm. or like he, you know, he was kind of maligned for like the ADD style, like editing and like all this shit. And I feel like he adapted to the times and also like paved the way for every kind of big action director in America, at least for the decade. Like, I feel like with Top Gun in the eighties and then to like Crimson Tide and True Remy, in the 90s and then even like the shit that he does in this era 
with like man on fire and, and, and deja vu, like that style became so fucking copied and people want like talk so much shit about it. It's like when Kanye did eight Oh hits and heartbreaks and mm-hmm. people were like, what is this auto tune shit? And then everyone does it. And it's like, you talked a lot of shit about this, but now everybody fucking does this and it's like <laughs> accepted. So I feel like he is in his own way, like a trailblazer. I, I just adore Tony Scott. I mean, I really get off on movies that are like, well, like we talk, I always bring up like happy death day. I like movies that like, I'm such an anxious person that anytime like time is like an element of the film itself, whether it be like a repeat movie like Groundhog's Day, which Deja Vu sort of is, or one like The Taking of Pelham, where it's like you have X amount of time to do it. Like I like those movies a lot, like After Hours or Three O'Clock High is like one that I really love too. This is like probably like the most fun I've had just like, like these movies just like washed over me in like a more pleasurable way than usual. Like, listen, like I loved watching Triple X last week, <laughs> but it was a different experience. And like, like yeah. this just felt like I was like picking movies for myself where like a lot of times it feels mm-hmm. like when we do the, like these, it's like, oh, it's like, this is my assignment for the week and it's like fun to like delve into that time period again but right. these i was just like oh i would watch these any fucking day of the week this is the shit yeah but i one time put it one of them on randomly and i was supposed to do something and i completely forgot what i was supposed to do because i just got caught up wrapped up in the movie just ignored it i was gonna say another thing about tony's guys i feel like a lot of people don't like his work but don't necessarily know him you know i i'm yeah. they're not I, I guess they don't they're not super tied to any directors or or studios in any specific way or anything so they just you know they watch whatever they find is interesting or they might like or whatever reason and they all have a lot of tony scott movies but if i asked them who tony scott was they probably would wouldn't really know or couldn't name yeah off the top of their head but if i started listing them off they'd probably be, realize they're a fan yeah yeah because once again like i think he is he is kind of a studio hire in that sense where it's like he is a studio guy and he has such a specific touch but like i think you're right in that like he probably is one of the top directors i would say has like the most specific touch and the most undeniable like flair for like oh yeah that's a tony scott movie that most people would not know is associated with like one particular director also because i do think that like he did pave the way for like michael bay and Zack snyder and dominic Sena and like a lot of different people in that era were like even though I do go to bat for Bay, um, and think he's a very, you know, has an incredible eye for the most part, it's influenced by Tony Scott. Like he really, I think just changed the way that action movies were looked at, especially for that particular style and that, you know, particular brand. And a guy who most of his filmography is rotten. So I know that we talked That's about even doing an entire Tony Scott series because the ones that are fresh are True Romance, Crimson Tide, Enemy of the State, Unstoppable, and randomly Spy Game, which is maybe my least favorite Tony Scott movie. Not like a bad movie, but... That what? movie is just like a movie that like is made for like a People Magazine's cover <laughs> story. <laughs> it's just, I think it's one that like it has a specific Tony Scott touch to it, but it's also like, it's a little... It, it's probably the one that I would probably most say is like not quite any director could do it, but close to that. Like even Domino, which I know is a mess and we'll be talking about in a couple months. I don't know. I, I have a weird affection for it. Even the fan, which is just like for some reason, like someone was like, what if we made the king of comedy like an actual horror movie and just brought Robert De Niro back? Wait, what was what was the third movie you listed before um, Unbreakable? Unstoppable. Unstoppable. Uh, Man on Fire. Oh, Enemy of the State. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Enemy of the State. Yeah, that was like, I think probably one of the biggest movies for me, like when I was growing up, like seeing that as a kid, I think I was like, oh, this is the fucking coolest movie I've ever seen in my life at the time. (laughs) Oh, it's a a great, I feel like if you're 
an idealistic teenager politically or you're kind yeah. of in, like, fuck the man it's a really good watch where you can just watch it and say fuck the government fuck the man and buy that for a while it's crazy when you watch it i rewatched it last year and i was like john Voight's character in that movie is born on 9 11 which i thought was really funny <laughs> <laughs> like i was like fuck tony scott knew he knew yeah uh <laughs> they 100 it, it was a 9-11 movie made 10 years before 9-11 happened, which is fucking wild. And, and down to like the surveillance aspect of it, which was probably yeah. one of the more well-done ways I've seen surveillance used before. Absolutely. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like Enemy of the State and Deja Vu are kind of an interesting double feature in that it, it is like pre and post 9-11 Tony Scott and how he handles mm-hmm. surveillance. And it's funny because like when Enemy of the State came out, a lot of people were like kind of wrote off a lot of the surveillance stuff as like, oh yeah, this is like over the top or like this would never happen kind of thing. And it's like, well, <laughs> give them three years. Yeah. Also, I think, and we'll talk about with both these movies, I think just, I was texting Courtney about, I think just one of the most underappreciated actor-director collaborations we've had, Tony Scott and Denzel. I just think that, like you said, I think Denzel is probably the only movie star I've seen that can believably play working class. And I, I think Brad Pitt has his own version of being a character actor who's also a leading man. But I think that Brad Pitt and Denzel both have a way of disappearing into a role that's really hard for a lot of other movie stars. And we I talked feel like about- when Brad Pitt does it too, it's like winking at the camera. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just this guy. It's like kind of a joke, I'm you know? Cause he's, guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, okay, shut the fuck up. <laughs> It's a phenomenon known as deja vu. You arrive at a place you've never been, but it feels familiar. But it feels familiar. You look into the face of a stranger and you feel like you've known her all your life. Have we met? Yeah. Yeah, we have. Deja Vu is believed by many to be a trick of the mind. But the truth is far more extraordinary. What if you had to tell someone the most important thing in the world but you knew they'd never believe you? I'd try. Doug, I've been put in charge of a newly formed investigative unit. I want you on the team. Why me? We've got some unique time constraints. He has been shown a secret. It's a brand new program. We can look anywhere. Four days in the past. The government doesn't want you to know. This is not surveillance. This is the actual past. Yes. They found a way to fold space back onto itself. Remember that blackout we had a few years back? Half the Northeast. You're saying you guys? 50 million homes? My bad. Wow. This Thanksgiving, the key to stopping disaster. You think you know what's coming? You don't have a clue. Starts by unraveling the mystery of deja vu. What if you had to tell someone the most important thing in the world, but you knew they'd never believe you? I try. Deja vu. Anyone who knows me knows that (laughs) there are three things I love in life. It's Tony Scott, Pure Taboo, and Denzel Washington. Um... (laughs) Really hope the five listeners that know a pure taboo is uh, (laughs) appreciate this. Uh, But today we get to talk about two out of three of those things. Starting in 2006 with Deja Vu, a film that asks its audience to suspend their disbelief of many things, but mostly that Denzel Washington is a character who could be named Doug. Doug, a loner ATF agent with an uncanny ability to survey a crime scene, is sent in to investigate a horrific ferry explosion in a post-Katrina New Orleans. After Doug quickly determines the explosion was an act of terrorism, he discovers something even more horrific in the debris the body of an absolute hottie named Claire, played by Paula Patton, who was murdered and seemingly dumped in the 
river to appear as though she was just another victim of the explosion. Luckily, the US government has been hiding a highly classified surveillance tool called Snow White that can be used to look four days into the past. Being the audience surrogate, Doug is obviously very confused by this technology, but not at all surprised that it exists. Uh, and wants to apprehend the man responsible for the explosion, but is also horny as fuck for the ghost of Claire. After discovering that he can pierce the very fabric of time with a laser pointer, Doug sets out to time travel back to the day of the explosion to stop the terrorist, revealed to be Jesus Christ himself, Jim Caviezel, mm -hmm. and to meet the love of his life in the flesh. And that's mostly deja vu. Yeah, it fits a lot in there. And it's like one of the movies that, because like 60% is like a fresh movie, and this movie's at 56%. So we're lucky that we even get to say its name. Yeah, Denzel has a, he has an appeal that just like, it doesn't really matter where you stand or what you're looking for. I mm -hmm. think everybody overall just likes Denzel. Like, I don't really know anybody that has an issue with Denzel Washington. I don't know why you would, but. Yeah, I was going to say, he's just too undeniably good. And he has also just made so many movies of like all, like and all kinds of movies that it's just like, yeah. oh, there you have to like one performance in there. Like not one, you probably like have like a top 10. Like he's been, yeah, I mean, I like, think why have I seen The Preacher's Wife more than two times? Like, <laughs> I haven't seen The Preacher's Wife, but I remember when it came out. Um. <laughs> it's a remake of a Cary Grant movie. So I do like the casting. It's stupid, but I like if I, I would watch it again at Christmas, it's like totally, he's very good in it. I like I like him as like just sweet. And there's like one really early one where he has a Rasta accent. And I really want to watch the one where him and that person body swap because of the Bob heart. Hoskins? Yeah, I really want to watch that. Heart, heartburn or, or not heartburn. It's like it's, heart, it's just heartburn, called heart attack, I think, or something. Yeah, it's yeah. dumb. It's, than that, it's yeah. fucking stupid. <laughs> And I just say he also spent like decades being a heartthrob. So people are going to just. Yeah, go. that is true. Yeah. I'm curious. I mean, like, why did you want to talk about this one in particular? I enjoy movies that do a lot of create longing through visual. Right. And mm -hmm. the entire movie is sort of. So one of my favorite, like, I, I, I love Laura, like Otto Preminger's Laura. Yeah. I think one of the really the good things it does is kind of establishes why this guy thinks this woman is dead but still manages to sort of fall in love with her whether it's creepy or not the movie puts you in his mind in, in a way and then once she appears it puts you in her state of mind and I think um, this is I, I like to I've always liked to compare the two and I think it'd be, they'd be a really good doubleheader because yeah. Laura is a perfect representation of that time a painting rich person's house like a perfect way to kind of capture her spirit in the movie um, until you know it's revealed that she's no longer she's not Never dead really she's actually then, not dead yeah yeah and then deja vu it, it does the same thing but through digital and, and more modern lens of it and with the time travel aspect with all the other aspects i think it works really well together i think the score honestly is really good too so it really yeah. tells a lot of the story he's kind of growing and falling in love with paula pants character and and it works well in terms of just storytelling visually it's chaotic but there's also a lot of moments where it completely slows down i think it does a really good job of creating a sense of a world around the people and builds up even though if a character doesn't have a lot of time you still get to know a little bit about them or why they would like someone um so i think that's pretty interesting in, in itself um so it does really that really good job and again i i've always liked this idea of idea of almost like ghost movies without necessarily having ghosts in them and mm -hmm. this one that way where it's like she kind of is a ghost for so long in the movie then suddenly she's not but in that way because you kind of get to know her through her life and he does too it, it, he does he recreates that in a really cool visual manner so yeah because it is like an absent character movie in the same way that like laura is or or Rebecca, or LaVentura. Like, yeah. it is, like, one of those movies. It's, like, it's an absent character movie where that character gets to come back and you get to, like, enjoy them again. I mean, I think that, like, Gone Girl and this also have that in common. But yeah. what this one is able to do, so, like, the scene that, like, really 
because this is the second time I've watched it in pandemic. The scene that like really like gets you, it, it has to work or the movie is just creepy and it doesn't work. And part of it is just because like Denzel is so great. But the scene where they're at the morgue and she's just a body could seem like exploitative. Like I really hate that autopsy of Jane Doe movie. Like I really can't think of a movie that I have like more just like pure vitriol for. And for some fucking reason, I do not know why they play it at the gym all the time and I can't take my eyes off it. The autopsy of Jane Doe plays it. I don't know why, man. I know. know. You should talk to somebody in management about that. And like who is playing this movie every day? (laughs) And like our fascination with dead bodies, it's like it's like that uncanny valley because it's like, oh, it's it's a human, it's something that I know so well, but like there's there's a goneness in it. It is like so well made. It doesn't feel creepy or necrophilic. Like you can tell that he thinks that she's beautiful, but he, he doesn't actually seem horny. <laughs> and I think that you could also yeah. like be very snide and be like, oh, hundreds of people die. Like they right. they show you little kids, you know that you El know Fanning. that families are just El Fanning gone. is dead. Okay. El Fanning's dead. And it's like, okay, sure. You're so you're fixating on this hottie and I and I think like even like a good actor so like even Colin Farrell I'd be like okay dude I get it like, Colin Farrell would make this character a scumbag one yeah night. like yeah you're hard for this dead girl you gotta so bring Denzel this girl back scenes. so I can fuck her yeah you don't understand I need this. I mean I love that movie too like whatever movie you just wrote like I I'm I'm here to watch it like there's that, definitely like, a few actors that make this guy a complete scumbag and yeah Colin yeah Farrell Gerard Butler <laughs> Gerard Butler I think would just, I, I don't even know if Gerard Butler would make him a scumbag. I think I would just be like, oh, this guy's dumb. Um, Gerard yeah. Butler would be like, oh, what do you mean we can't bring her back? Yeah. Like, I think him and Josh Brolin would just be like confused why they can't fuck her. Uh, but I think Colin Farrell would be like, no, I'm desperate. <laughs> like, I need her. But like, Denzel brings like, he, he's like sweet about it in a way that like, I noticed that you have Vertigo in the notes. Like, I think that there's similar casting. It's like, Vertigo doesn't work if you realize too early that Jimmy Stewart's character is creepy and so it takes right. jim stewart to make that character sail into a point that you're like oh this yeah. is actually like a little bizarre and i think like he does the same thing with denzel here except the interiors of doug's life like are a little more opaque like we don't get to see inside them but i think it's that's the best because i think that what what it comes across as to me is that he's really lonely i think it comes across he is, that really he is yeah he's so consumed by his work in that sense that i think that's another reason that he becomes obsessive with this woman because he feels this deep loneliness that you kind of get from him and, and Denzel is so great at, at conveying I think through not even having to give us anything about his character and to me I think it's like the desperation obviously of wanting to go back and and, and save her and save these people's lives but I think it is also a, a reflection of that time and I think that that's why uh, there's the obvious reasons that we're talking about this movie in connection to like post 9-11 movies because I think it probably has the most evocative like imagery in it as far as like everything in the opening that I cannot fucking believe this movie's PG-13. Like, I had to do a double take. They have sailors engulfed in flames jumping off Well, the also ship. just like any morgue scene where you really are just like, yeah. not tossing the body around, but like moving it around, like that is so much more upsetting than saying fuck. I mean, yeah, Jim Caviezel drags a body out of a car and like pours gas on it and shoots him in the head. I was like, holy shit, I can't. It's, it's amazing what you can get away with when it's just violence. Because if Denzel would have fucked her, this movie would have gotten an R. 
I know. <laughs> but no, what I was going to say is that I think that like outside of like the very kind of obvious imagery in this movie that I do think is not tasteless. I think a lot of people called it tasteless at the time, which is very funny considering this is the same year as United 93 and World Trade Center. But I think that he finds a way to obviously prey on the post 9-11 emotion that I think was kind of stirring in everybody by having this imagery here. But I think it really gets at, to me, this movie gets at the feeling, especially at this point in time in 2006 of where we were at and this this desperation of like, I just want to go back and change things. And I think that it's something that we feel a lot, even with like things like true crime. When I, like when you read certain things of true crime, you're like, I just want to be able to be there and to like, to change something, you know, something like Zodiac, like a movie like that, that's obsessive where like, when you watch it, there's something about it too, where you're like, if only I could just be in this place at that time to see what this person looked like, to see who they are and to be able to see them. And I think that this movie does a great job of showing the desperation that everybody feels where they're like, I just wish I could do something. And also I do think that it weirdly is like a prelude to what someone like Tarantino ends up doing for a decade, which is this wish fulfillment of going back and changing these atrocities to act as if they just never happened or to like rewrite history. And this movie kind of is able to have it both ways where it's fantastical and that like, oh, we can change something in reverse time, but also still has this kind of somberness and a realism to it at the same time that I think Tony Scott brings to it that does show you just like the devastation and the fact that, yeah, like you can't really ever change these things in some way or another and something's always affected by it. Well, I think that like a big difference is too is that like the bad guy in this movie is like pretty subdued and I don't think that that's that's like me harshing on the bad guy like Jim Caviezel because like it actually is because Denzel Washington's Doug (laughs) has a line where he says that like he has spent like his career trying to like track down people after they've committed an atrocity right and like what he wants to do this one time is to be able to save something before the bad thing happens so it also like takes some like of the power away from the terrorist character and really like gives it back to the victims and I think that like I mean it's it's like a little bit of a romance so it just gets to be embodied by I think Tony Scott's more romantic than he gets credit for like I think that he's weirdly yeah like I think he's a softy like I think he has like a weird there's a definitely like an optimism to a lot of his movies is as dark and like you know kind of out of control as they can get but no I think that's I'm glad you brought that up because I do think that's a really yeah that's an important part and it it also calls into question everything that people have talked about with like defunding the police, which is like, well, what exactly do you do? You arrest someone after something has already been done. So you're not stopping a crime from happening. You're not stopping a murder or a rape from happening. It's a really, I think, complicated movie and way more complex than I think a lot of people gave it credit for at the time when it came out. And maybe that was just being too immersed in like that era of whatever movies were at that time. Well, I think like you're right, like United, (laughs) United Night, wait, what's the name of the plane? United, I never United saw it either. The word United Theater, the World Trade Towers. It's like, I love I that you like, laugh every time you talk about United Because <laughs> I get so uncomfortable. You know, well, United no, United also my friend Macy, who's done the podcast, he has a story where like a coworker of his at the time, he worked at J. Crew, accidentally went to that movie, but was like 10 minutes late. So didn't, oh. she was not maybe like the smartest or most aware person. So she didn't know what she was seeing. And she also thought it was on a bus. Like she didn't know it was a 9-11 movie. So that's what I think of um, every time that I, that I think about that movie is that like how in the world there was a woman who watched most of it and didn't understand that it 
It she was, thought she was like, going to see the Sentinel with Michael Douglas and Kiefer yeah, Sutherland. Yeah, yeah. Like, so that's honestly what, what I, I think about a little bit every time. But I do think that like we were in a time period where if you like look at like what wins Oscars, they're, they're like kind of like pat yourself on the back earnest mm-hmm. movies. Yeah, so one that is able to sort of like take the atrocities of 9-11 that we all kind of witnessed in different vantage points and then metabolize them into something that's like actually works and is entertaining felt... I think opportunistic for the critics at the time. And now we're just like, can you just get us out of this place that we're in? Can you just, can you, can we just have fun again? Like I would love, yeah. a fun, like I'm really like bracing myself for the post pandemic wave of oh, movies and artwork that want to reference so it. Tight. It's <laughs> going to be so sad because it won't happen. Like, yeah. And it's just like, okay, cool, cool, cool. I, I don't, I don't not want to see a fucking zoom call on a, movie screen or characters pretending no even world war ii movies i think a lot of the good ones did come out during world war ii like i think that mrs miniver and the best years of our lives same director are two of the best movies about war ever made because it's also they're they're like about what war is on the domestic front and a lot of the reason why i don't like war movies is because women characters are just usually posters on walls which i understand i guess like it's it's a it's a reality at some points but i really love like mrs miniver and the best years of my life or our lives because they're able to show like how war reverberates to home and i guess i relate to that a little bit more but i think that if someone did it now like i think that it would feel self-congratulatory because i think that it would be like i don't i don't think that we have that many people working today on projects like that that don't want to make like Syriana. <laughs> I really hate Syriana. I think I've like I think I've really punched it up during this 2000 series a lot. I, I uh, just avoided it because I I try to avoid any post 9/11 movies that are anywhere set in the Middle East because yes. they are fucking racist as hell. But I just I just avoid anything that's basically in that theme altogether. And that brings up another point with I think both of these movies is that I can't remember another like other big movies like this that touched on I think the zeitgeist at that time that both have white terrorists mm-hmm. like they're both domestic terrorists and they're both guys that feel wronged by their country for different reasons mm-hmm. it's interesting yeah because like this was one of the movies that yeah that was kind of poorly received in that era but one of the few I think or only that I can think of that did not have like an anonymous brown person as the terrorist mm-hmm. in the face of terrorism in their movies because it did seem like starting in like 2003-ish it becomes really like we've talked about before in like past episodes like instead of having like the kind of like random like Russian guy or you know it it, it suddenly becomes like okay now we have to make them just like an anonymous brown person it doesn't matter and then like a lot of those movies are rewarded like American Sniper or something like that again just go to the go to the gym go on public transit and the scariest people are always white boys like I'm just like oh no what are you gonna say do or smell like it's always some like random ass white guy what are you gonna smell like like? (laughs) yeah I mean like listen I live in Portland so they're gonna smell like white dreads they're gonna yeah, smell like okay. record stores and white dreads um which is the same the smell you go to plays jane doe yeah you just I, go I to the gym watch the autopsy of jane doe the entirety of autopsy of jane doe between gym visits over the last two years <laughs> and and i again like i maybe we should cover you're gonna want to get a pump in once you see the autopsy of jane doe. <laughs> let me tell you right now you're gonna be stimulated i'll not to end up like this person exactly <laughs> it's, i highly recommend in the sense that like it's like 
like one of those movies, like Max was saying, that's like genuinely like bad and mean, like it has a mean spirit. And so I kind of like recommend it because you're just like, oh, so many bad movies don't mean badness, but I think this one might. It's just basically like, look at this hot dead lady. Let's move her tits around. Wait, what's the movie? There's and a it movie has Emil Hirsch the... in it too. So you're just like, yeah. oh, I really just like die. When can All you around. die? Yeah. Um, so luckily in Deja Vu, Denzel does not ever go to the morgue to fuck Paula Patton. He no, just he does have haunts. to meet her extremely weird dad. I thought the dude who played yeah. her dad. That was a I weird bit that, of casting. I was like, this performance is... He just, just seemed like an Italian dude they found like, on Central Did you Cast. do it? <laughs> like, 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 yeah, he, he's like kind of shaking. He's like, I don't know where she was. She was, yeah, his performance raises <laughs> suspicion. He does not seem like paternal, really. I, I like the movie a lot, but that is like the one thing that really stood out to me. He's a little as weird, like, yeah. It just, it, I just didn't fucking understand. Like, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, am I supposed to suspect that this guy killed his own kid or like this isn't the guy? Like it was just like such a weird performance, and then he never comes back. But this time when I was watching it, I was like, "Oh yeah, the weird dad." Like he's a little weird, yeah. Uh, Other than being dead, she didn't pick him up from the airport because he kind of seems like he's just really pissed off about that. Yeah, Yeah. I'm glad she's dead because I was about to be pissed. (laughs) I fucking waited there for six hours. Um, Yeah, he's really upset about that. (laughs) Because I I will say also, like on that note, that I do think that another thing that Tony's not only not only his collaborations with Denzel, but something I think he's underrated for is just getting really great performances out of actors and casting making really eccentric casting choices Mm -hmm. that he did a lot in the 90s and like he's kind of he's cast a lot of more eccentric character actors and parts i think before they become really prominent or puts actors i think to really interesting use here he does so with the kind of the tech guys with adam goldberg and Eldon Henson of Idle Hands, of course. Right. Um, but Adam Goldberg is like who I want to be in this part. Like I don't need him to be in Two Days in Paris or whatever. Uh, like I don't need him as a romantic lead. But this is- I think he's a, perfect like, for this part. Seasoned yeah. with a little Goldberg. He has my heart in this movie. You do not know me that well, but I really love energy drinks a lot. Like I, so you know. <laughs> I work at a restaurant and I almost always have a diet Red Bull. And Adam Goldberg is drinking a Red Bull. And I was like, this is the hottest he's ever been to me, is <laughs> getting wings with me on this red bull because <laughs> that because like that's just like a character i like i'm sure it was product placement but it's also the right product yeah. placement yeah, where like, like, would drink this guy bowl. would drink this it's like yeah. anyone who like has that kind of job like doesn't like coffee that much they really like like red bulls well, yeah. or now what are they called bangs i never had one uh red bull I, I don't never recommend a bang never a highball is the best one that highball is the best energy drink. No, I I love Adam Goldberg in this. And it, it reminds me of, I think, a big reason why I was always so into Tony Scott movies growing up, whether, you know, it was like Crimson Tide. And then obviously we've talked about many times Enemy of the State, where he just puts like these very, very, just an insane cast where it's like Jason Lee, who had only done like Kevin Smith movies and mm-hmm. Kissing a Fool with David Schwimmer, which nobody remembers oh, except me. I remember that. <laughs> okay. I was really excited to see Kissing a Fool because I love Jason Lee and it's, a girl, it's uh, bad. Gwyneth? No, it's good. No, actor's name Carrie Wooher, which I okay. also couldn't tell you why I know that off the top of my head. Yeah. But that's her name. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you guys, Jason Lee, Jamie Kennedy, Seth Green, Jack Black, Scott Kahn, Jake Busey, Barry Pepper. I mean, it's just a fucking perfect cast. He has uh, uh, Lisa Bonet pops up in it. Gene Hackman gets to come in and play his character from The Conversation. Jason Seth gr- Green's in it. Yeah, uh, Seth Green. With, people, yeah. 
Yeah, because Adam Goldberg, or like what I think about Adam Goldberg is that he's he's just like better at being stoned than Giovanni Ribisi, where we, like Ribisi has like a nervous energy, where like Goldberg gets like. I think chill. Goldberg has a neurotic energy to him. That he, it, it is, but and it, it's like more in control. It's I, I don't, don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't think he would kill me, but I think Giovanni. Exactly. Oh, like, for sure, if, he's not like a dirtbag. Like yeah. Ribisi can be like a wild card. Goldberg yeah. is just like a little more like I don't know. He's just like a great little character actor part here yeah. for him, and and um. You know, he gets some good little one-liners and I love, yeah, like when, when Denzel's in the car chase and he's trying to direct him and he says, you know, I feel very close to you right now and things Mm -hmm. like that. Like he gets his little moments in there. By the way, that car chase is awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about the car chase. One of the best car chases. Tony Scott during the audio commentary for the movie talks about how he regrets the car chase. He says he didn't do his best work there. And I don't get what you would improve. Like it's so, because like usually when you watch a car chase beautiful car chase typically because like i'm kind of car dumb i learned how to drive when i was like 26 or 27 so i've i haven't been driving like that long in every car chase i'm usually already kind of lost and what this car chase does it orients you of like also being sort of like displaced and and like someone having to direct you through the car chase in like a really magical way that like i can't think of another car chase that is like this well so he's driving like a big tank kind of car on a bridge pursuing the bad guy but he's pursuing the bad guy because the sciencey thing is like they're able to create like a time warp bubble, and so he's pursuing the bad guy who's there in the past. So he, so Doug, cannot see him physically. Well, he does have like an eye thing for a while, but it gets broken, of course. And so he's like pursuing this person in the past, but he's having to be like directed by right. Adam Goldberg. Because yeah, it really so is like you have these, to see it. It's so fucking good. He has these goggles on, and the whole thing is that in order because they only have a limited amount of time and scope to be able to figure out who this guy is and they can see him, but they can't get a read on him. They can't get like a good image of his face. So Denzel gets in a Humvee with these weird goggles that are able to see four days in the past, wherever he goes. So he's driving in the present in the middle of the day on a highway in the past. He is driving down a the same highway while it is pouring rain at night, <laughs> chasing Jim Gaviezel. Yeah, at one point he gets hit by a truck, the goggles break, and then Adam Goldberg has to direct him. It's amazing. And Denzel is so fucking good in the scene. Yeah. Denzel's a great reactor. He re I think that's another thing that's so great about Denzel and why I think people love him so much is that he reacts to things as a movie star, but he has a movie star energy, but the way he reacts to crazy shit is the way that I think anybody would react to crazy yeah. shit. Like he puts on the goggles and he's like, this is fucking trippy this is crazy (laughs) he's like laughing at it he just has this amazing laugh and this energy especially when he's learning the science like these things are very complicated where he's just like he just has this fucking effortless quality where he's just able to be relatable but also like be so magnetic and then especially in the car chase like he's so great the scene is amazing. I just felt because, like a kid watching it. I was yeah. just like, this is what I fucking used to just love as a kid going to the movies. It took seeing. all three of us to explain. It's like a very, it's like there's so much happening. <laughs> but when you watch it. You know it, what's happening. When you're you watching. know exactly yeah. what's happening. And that's the fucking crazy thing. It's like yes. so many times you're just like, it's just like up the ante kind of car chase. And I still am like not oriented. But this is like a movie that has like so, like there's just so much fucking happening. And I knew it was happening the entire fucking time it's so dope <laughs> like technically it's cool visually it's cool acting wise it's cool and, and, and on top of that it's also it's one of those car chases where you're like okay there's there's like the stakes are are, are legit but at the same time there's also this weird thing of like you don't know what's gonna happen because yeah of the situation. so even if he does like catch up to him 
you have no fucking idea what's gonna happen. And I think that yeah. also like, yeah. an element of like suspense involved too. Okay, I see it. It's really simple. Wherever you look, the eyepiece will have a focus and we'll see what you see. Try the goggles. Hang on, hang on. Doug, look straight ahead. We've got the window slave to your goggles. We're seeing what you're seeing four days in the past. Okay, I got him. I got him. He's back in range. He's going west, not east, on the Crescent City Bridge. Okay, so my first time watching Deja Vu, because this was a Tony Scott movie that I put off for a while because I heard it was like kind of like lower tier Scott. And then I watched it early last year, this and Pelham last year. And like watching it, I was like, Christopher Nolan tries to make this movie twice <laughs> and doesn't fucking succeed in my opinion. He tries to make Inception, he makes Inception. That's praised, nominated for fucking Oscars because it's very fucking serious and grand and has Leonardo DiCaprio and a dead wife. And fucking, he makes Tenet, which to me is like almost a clear ripoff of Deja Vu. I haven't even life. seen Tenet. Tenet has a very similar car chase that's, I'll admit, well done. But Nolan completely rips off this movie twice and is like praised for it. I, I, I think I read somewhere, I don't know how accurate this is, but I believe I read somewhere that the screenwriters of Deja Vu were sort of upset with how Tony Scott directed it. They were um, very, very upset. Why? They probably wanted the Christopher Nolan movie, but instead they got okay. sort of this romance. They thought it was going to be the next Sixth Sense. That's a quote from them. Oh. They thought it was going to be like this great like sci-fi movie. And apparently Tony Scott was just like, I'm not going to fucking do all this sci-fi shit. Like, <laughs> let's just fucking simplify this. Because at, at the end of the day, Scott, Tony Scott's an entertainer. Like he's there to mm-hmm. entertain you and he does a great job of it. I think he finds a great balance of the yeah. sci-fi stuff personally. Also, these guys sold this script for $5 million. Oh, yeah. If I sold this script for $5 million, I'd be like, you can do whatever the fuck you want with it. I don't fucking care. Even if I was like disappointed, I'd be like, well, I did get $5 million for writing this movie. So I was going to say this movie's like better. And I like this movie. I'm about to say that I I like, I like this movie better than Source Code. And I like Source Code better than Inception. It's like the more serious you take yourself. I don't remember Source Code that well. I I really hated it at first. And then it kind of grew on me probably because like that, that Christopher Nolan just became like the biggest director ever. And I was like, well, at least Source Code was like fun and like stupid. Yeah. And like kind of knew it was stupid. And this like, this one, I don't think that this movie is stupid. I think this movie is fun. If you like, like look at what, the most popular movies right now and they are like comic book movies like i do think that like people for some reason like right now in this moment like really respond to like grandiosity and not necessarily like um like small gestures like i i like littler movies better and this might know me i mean this it was probably very expensive to me, but it also feels like really contained it's funny that in hindsight this feels yeah, like it's yeah, but like it takes so long to get to the tech, the tech part or like the sci-fi part, which is like I appreciate that about this movie too because like it's not mostly romance or mostly crime procedural or mostly sci-fi. Yeah. It is like a braid of all three of those things, and it really takes its time to put you into the Snow White machine, which yeah. is like such a cool set piece. And I think a lot yeah. of movies would just blow its load right away with that because it'd be like it's like I can't wait to show you this fucking thing we got. Yeah, you know? or if it was a Nolan movie, they would spend even more fucking time trying to explain to you how it works and it's yeah. like i think tony's got does a good job of just being like i trust you 
to figure out what the fuck is happening through this. And like the right, yeah, the screenwriters, I, I'm sure you were reading this a bit when you were looking at it, it was like, they were like, oh, like there would have been zero plot holes that they would have just, if you would have just honored the script. Even yeah. that, yeah, I'm like, who cares? But also like, I doubt that. Anytime yeah. you write a movie like this, you're opening yourself up to something that's like on paper, you could say, oh, that's silly. Like you were saying, like, I don't think this movie is silly, but I could see yeah. how people would be like, oh, that's a silly idea. Movies like this always open themselves up to that because we live in an era of like, you know, YouTube videos of people being like, let me tell you why this actually doesn't work yeah. and shit like that. And like everybody wants to overanalyze yeah. it. And that's the magic of Tony Scott is that he's like, no, I trust you and I'm going to entertain you. I have these fucking yeah. amazing movie stars. Just roll with me on this journey. Like I got it. The fact that he looks at this as like a lesser work of his because he was like, I only had 19 weeks to shoot it. And he's like, that's not a lot of, t-. it seems like a lot of time. And he's like, that's not a lot of time for making a movie like this. They were on a tight schedule. They were shooting in post Katrina, like literally shot right after Hurricane Katrina happened. Um, and they were trying to move the production and then Tony Scott and Denzel, I guess, both insisted on like, no, let's shoot in New Orleans. Let's employ people. Like, let's get some jobs mm-hmm. going out there and like kind of try to pay tribute to the city in its own way. I think that there's like silly things about it that like Denzel sells. Like I do think, like, I think like I giggled with like delight. Like I wasn't laughing at the movie. I giggled with delight when he picked up the laser pointer that's like mostly yeah. used for a uh, cat yeah. yes. <laughs> to play with. And then just like, when he, and it's like, oh, that's how he reaches her. That's so funny and tight. Like <laughs> I, I do like things like that because, because you're so on his side, you're like, whatever Denzel's character is doing like you just are like yeah i yeah. would do that too i really i'm rooting for this guy like whatever he wants i want for him yeah and so when he does the cat pointer thing i was like awesome or like another point that i texted max like could be stupid but like i was like whatever when he i was like can you run facial recognition on a duffel bag <laughs> i you know what that wasn't silly to me because for me i was like you know what i think that we have always vastly underestimated what our government can do oh, with yeah, surveillance sure. to the point that i'm like i bet you you could run surveillance on a duffel bag. I bet you could. It I just, bet you it was were all more... sitting there because I think they want us to sit there and be like, this is stupid. This could never happen. And they're like, actually, we can do it with anything. It's just like more the swiftness <laughs> that like Denzel's character is able to just be like, no, here's what we're going to do. It's like, I do like, I think it's like a funny trope in movies like this where like all these capable people who are capable of building Snow White, like didn't think of that. Or I just like, and then you, you need like a, like a big dick Denzel to come in and be like, no, <laughs> run facial recognition on a bag. <laughs> Denzel like, needs, they like, need a guy to come in with his fucking big ass extra large collared shirt and dad jeans. I love his outfits in this movie. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. totally like I don't give a fuck dad who shops at Walmart who's just like, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah, care. Denzel's style is, is fucking great. And part of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of Roman Gay Israel, like it's such a good, it's just Denzel style rocks, like especially late era Denzel when he's a little older, kind of dresses loosey goosey. Like yeah. from B. Like between this, like John Q and then. Um, That's right. This is the dad era of Denzel. He's like had all, like just very, very interesting, like fun. fun yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, also, yeah, very much attributed yeah. to the 2000s. Another thing I've also, I also appreciate about uh, Deja Vu is, so not just Deja Vu, I think Tony Scott's movies in general, he's really good at building up spaces with people in them in general yeah. so the explosion in the beginning is effective because he builds up this environment where all these people are here for having a celebratory time um it's also resident because, like it's also relevant because of like post katrina situation of right. everything but he does the same thing with pelham right when he's setting up the takeover of the subway and the sixth train there's you kind of get a sense of all these people entering the train they're in different parts of their work schedule there's like all these nice little character touches for every single person in there where they yeah. feel like real human beings in a way that ties into like the voyeur, right the voyeuristic nature of his movies 
in the 2000s and 2010s. So I think he's so good at taking, spending very little time on people, but still giving them stories visually and just giving them all these character traits that I don't think a lot of directors spend a lot of time with. And in a way, I think his understanding, and I think this applies a little bit more to Pelham 123, but his understanding of American politics being someone from the UK is also really um, yeah. interesting and impressive, which feels less outsider than it should, given that he's not like a natural American born person who grew up here. So that's a great point. I think that that does tie into him being so great with actors and giving them space to explore. And I think there's a reason that he had a guy like Denzel as his muse and had all these big actors, Gene Hackman coming back for him um, that wanted to work with him. Cause I do think that he allows you space to create a character and to have fun. And he gets fucking really good performances out of people. Like he doesn't let, I don't think he's letting anybody slack off in the way that I think his brother who is, for some reason, looked at as like the prestige version of him. I know you have such does. a chip. Like I still like Ridley Scott. Like I don't I like Ridley like, Scott, but I just am I, upset I just, that he gets the right. the fucking prestige credit and Tony Scott is looked at as like the hack fucking technician or something. When yeah, to me, I definitely Ridley Scott is a technician. I think he's so cold and like detached. Mm-hmm. And that Tony Scott actually has a more personal touch. I don't care about Gladiator. I don't care about, I would say. of Ridley Scott's work and I probably have the flip relationship with Tony Scott but like Ridley Scott is like one of those people that has just directed some like pillars like for me it's Thelma and Louise like Mm -hmm. Thelma and Louise is probably like one of my top 25 to 50 favorite movies so yeah i get it and like i always root for him to be good like even though i think he sucks now i'm gonna see the last duel like and it looks like something i would hate in no way does it look like something i want to go to and i think that but yeah i, I still root for hair. him you you kind of shit talk him a little bit but i'm like ah, i still kind of it's more the that. reputation of him i think really yeah. that's a really great i would never deny really scott's a fucking incredible filmmaker um it's more just the reputation yeah 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 it's yeah. like because i mean because it's like that bullshit like our tour shit theory that like, I really don't believe in. I'm just like, yeah. just make me some fun things. I think Jim Caviezel is really good in this. Yeah, he's fine. He has a good weird energy. And I think it comes. Mm-hmm. To yeah, weird. there's a deadness in him in this. And he's like this patriot who, you know, quote unquote, like this guy, this like patriotic dude who feels like wrong by his country. And clearly the character is like very much modeled off of like Timothy McVeigh. And like, I don't know, there's something about Jim Caviezel in this where like he not only physically embodies who I think this guy would be, but like is a kind of, there's something off about him. There's a, there's, like you said, yeah, there's a weird energy for sure about him. And this. we didn't even get to talk about Val Kilmer. It's like one of the weirdest pe- people who's in this for a minute. Like that's what's wild about it is like there's so much going on that i forget val kilmer's in this movie it's one of the most normal val kilmer roles you can know he's so like there's nothing weird about you there's nothing weird about you okay like is he secretly hiding is he the killer like is there something yeah (laughs) i think val kilmer plays the terrorist 10 years earlier maybe (laughs) or 10 yeah yeah or later and paula Patton's like good yeah we should talk about paula Patton. yeah she is she's really she has like misfortune of being married to robin thick for didn't they get back together I don't think so. And then you're like, such a fucking doofus. I was like, you're so lucky that your no, life ended Robin up like Thick, this. <laughs> married 2001, divorced 2015. She mm-hmm. has a hard role too, because I think a lot of the role is from a distance from her. So you, you're, you're watching it. For us, like the way they shoot it is also from like a distance and how you're yeah. interacting with her environment. So I think that's a tough role to pull off in any kind of movie, but she does it really, really well. You feel what her and Denzel finally are on the screen together. You don't feel... Uh, 
see and according to you alluded to this earlier it's not it could be a lot creepier in a different movie but yeah. you kind of feel that they do have an instant connection beyond just like attraction it's more so just they feel like there's something there it's also another movie and like last week we did shooter that really proves the point that like bandaging up a man is an aphrodisiac like that you can jump like six weeks into a relationship if you have to bandage someone's wound so like what <laughs> what i am looking for is someone who gets hurt a lot so i can really just like get a ring on it within six to yes. seven months no, the thing is if you are a man and you're in a funk just shoot yourself yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah just like baby i need baby. you to bandage me if some guy showed up at your door after shooting himself <laughs> like, oh no I, need, I got a shoulder bullet i need your i mean it's been like because like he just I ends love, up like, dying because he's yeah. now I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I thought See, I met that the man movie in my would be dreams. tight. See, that's the same movie that we you wrote earlier in the episode with Colin Farrell. Shooting himself in the kneecap. You gotta help me. God damn, you're beautiful. Holy shit. <laughs> See, uh, I'm there. I'm watching it. You got my money. I think it's I've been watching you in the shower for six weeks. I'm here to save your life. <laughs> yeah. Um I do think that Tony Scott also does like he finds a great way, I think, like to question the technology without like he's not outright condemning it like he knows that like the movie doesn't need to be that essentially but there is like skepticism about it and it is a kind of I think cynical way of looking at the technology whereas like something like The Dark Knight is just full on like this shit is tight. Or Minority Report (laughs) is like full on critiquing it I think especially the text that it's based on but this one is able to sort of have it both ways and I like it and I I like the movie Minority Report that's that's the first time I ever co-starring Colin Farrell Farrell. yeah I think that something I also thought about watching this was like because a lot of I, I had read things before about Crimson Tide how it, it was kind of looked at as like a commentary on like a director versus studio versus like like these two people like having these negotiations and these arguments over who's right and blah 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 and like I think especially watching this like I think this is a great movie in a way that you could look at as like a commentary on filmmaking and like constantly trying to find the right the right shot I don't know like I I, I think it there's just like a there is a metaphor in there that I'm not intelligent enough to articulate that I felt while watching it I don't know I just think that this movie works on so many different levels and especially this is like the third time that I watched it. And from that car chase on, like I just, yeah, everything about it. I was just like, this is just exactly what I would want in a movie like this. I couldn't ask for anything better. This wasn't about revenge. What was it about? Destiny. Destiny. You've been asking me about my motives, right? My methods, right? They're all connected. Everything's connected. Okay, how was Claire Kujua connected? Sometimes a little human collateral is a cost of freedom. To me, those people are war casualties, but to you, they're just evidence. It'll do. A bomb has a destiny. A predetermined fate set by the hand of its creator. And anyone who tries to alter that destiny will be destroyed. Anyone who tries to stop it from happening will cause it to happen. And that's what you don't understand. We're not here to coexist. I'm here to win. So you better have some divine intervention, buddy. You're gonna need it. You better have some KY. You're gonna need it. All right, well, critics, so 56% Desan Thomas of the Washington Post said, after 9-11, few of us look at terrorist acts casually. It's insulting to watch this. Sometimes I come across a word with critics yeah. where I'm reading it and I'm like, fuck, I feel stupid. Grantiloquent. I want to keep saying like ventriloquist. Mm-hmm. It's insulting to watch this grantiloquent 
pornography, using shock value and Hollywood cliche to evoke poignancy. David Jenkins of Time Out said, take away a couple of neatly staged action sequences and you're left with a callously measured slab of US jingoism that deals with the most horrific human tragedies in the most lunk-headed and insulting way possible. I do not think this movie is jingoistic at all. Yeah. And to say that at a time when so many other movies that were coming out were is like, like, I'm sorry, like the fucking, the, and I can't comment because I was like a teenager at that time. But like, when you look back on it and like even the shit that I remember from that time, like people were like on both sides it's just like, no, fucking, we have got to kill every fucking, we've got to eliminate every like brown country that we can think of right now. Like we've got to fucking kill everybody. And so like- it also, it also shows like a deep lack of knowledge of Tony Scott's work in general. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, Manola Dargis, the New York Times says, the joke of it is for all the pricey bangs and booms, the whiplash cinematography and the editing that turns film space into cubistic tableau, a Bruckheimer and Scott partnership is only as good as its screenplay. And this one- is a mess. Uh, Owen Gleiberman called it watchable trash. Wesley Morris, the Boston Globe, said you aren't likely to see a more ludicrous movie for the rest of the year, but rarely has such ludicrousness been used to pay tribute to a town in need of love. Deja Vu is generic enough to have been filmed anywhere, but it happens to be set in post-Katrina, New Orleans. And then a positive review from Jay Cole. Jay Cole said, police procedural compounded by time travel and obsessive longing as if someone reverse engineered vertigo from Chris Marker's deconstruction of it in Sans Soleil, then decided to wrap it up in an overarching response to the entire failure of the Bush era from the Patriot Act to Hurricane Katrina, and then put that into a fragmented action thriller. The result is nearly unclassifiable, parlaying the one-sided unhealthy romantic obsession of the savior complex of thrillers that vertigo so brutally unpacked into a broader rumination on the security state, one that finds no value in a massive surveillance apparatus that violates every norm only to find the guilty, but does not find a moral, a more complex, purely fantastical hope in the idea of undoing horrors. Compared to the reactionary conservatism that infected even the most liberal post 9-11 films, this feels altogether messier and more mournful wish fulfillment that comes at a bittersweet cost. Couldn't have said it better myself, which is why he's a film writer. And I, <laughs> at, first, at first I thought you said J. Cole wrote that. And I was J. Like, <laughs> J. Cole of Cole World has this to say about Deja Vu. I, was like, wow, great review, J. I wish that we had a review from J. Cole for every episode. <laughs> Who is the MVP of Deja Vu? I feel like for me, this is going to be a boring MVP week because it's, it's Denzel. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to say it's not Denzel, but I guess you can also throw a vote. I mean, I mean Tony, I guess, in, in many ways. But yeah. yeah, I think it's both. Yeah. It's their partnership. It's a two-hander, man. I, I just feel like, yeah, once again, like they should be talked about in the pantheon of just like great actor-director collaborations because yeah. Tony Scott was able yet to just make Denzel into this like working class dude or you were like, mm -hmm. I, like an, unstop an unstoppable in the next movie and this, you're just like, I completely believe this guy. Side shout out to that Red Bull and Adam Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. And whoever did the... Uh, uh, extra XXL big dog clothes for uh, yeah. Denzel in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This this guy Doug wears big dog. Let me tell you that. <laughs> <right now. laughs> He's a big dog guy. <laughs> Final rating on Deja Vu. I, I just think it's really pretty good. I think it's like a super competent, super fun movie that. I'm, I'm going to go big because you know. I knew it. That's another reason why I'm just like, you're edging because you're saying like you're edging right now. You're trying to. <laughs> Listen, I've been waiting. Fucking I've been waiting it. over a year to tell you all the deja vu <laughs> is a fucking misunderstood masterpiece. I do. I honestly think that this is Tony Scott's masterpiece in a lot of ways, which is funny because it's written off as lower, as like lesser tier Scott. He looks at it as like kind of like a lower tier movie for him. I don't know. I think this combines every single thing that you could ever want out of a Tony Scott movie. I think it's just like, 
like his most fully completed, just epic. And there's something about this movie that, I don't know, imagery that just keeps coming back to me and Denzel's performance and just what it represented at the time. And yeah, partially also because of how maligned it was. And I think because it is really misunderstood, I do think this is Tony Scott's masterpiece. I'm, I'm going big here too. Uh, <laughs> I, really hope, I really hope that someone programs some sort of movie program that does all the sort of falling in love through image films that start from pre-code all the way up to now because i think there's a it'd be a really interesting story to tell and i think deja was the perfect or one of the best modern examples of it again i it's I, i'm biased in this case you put denzel in the movie you set it in new orleans you get some cool shit happening with technology i'll probably already yeah. go high on that <laughs> But it works. It really works. And I think there's a lot of cases where it could have fallen apart in the cases of a less capable filmmaker and cast, but it works really fucking well. And it's really enjoyable, honestly. It's like one of those, it's like a movie that is not only repeatedly watchable, but it's also just, it takes something new from it every single time. Tell them one, two, three. Why'd you stop? You're all green ahead. What is the going rate for a New York City hostage today? Maybe I'm not the guy you should be talking to. You are exactly the guy I want to talk to. You Garber, bring that money down to me. All right, kill another hostage. They want me to take the money down to the tunnel. What the hell are they doing? When you put your socks on this morning, did you ever think... One, two, three, rated R. We're going to move on to another film that sees John Travolta go full camp as a terrorist. Tony Scott's 2009 remake of the 1974 Walter Matthau Robert Shaw thriller, The Taking of Pelham 123. Stepping into Matthau's role is Denzel Washington as Walter, a disgraced MTA dispatcher under investigation for bribery who gets caught in the crosshairs of a hostage situation when a recently paroled stockbroker named Ryder, that's spelled with a Y. That's Travolta his disguise. He's like, I'm going to go by Ryder, like a train ride. Writer, but I'm going to put a Y in it so they think yeah. it is my last name. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty pretty tough of him. <laughs> He's but, brilliant. Yeah, Travolta has another unfortunate goatee going on here. He hijacks a train car and demands $10 million in exchange for the release of its hostages. Luckily for the passenger, Ryder takes to Walter's affability and sincerity and a bromance ensues as Walter keeps Ryder talking for the duration of the 60 minutes that Ryder has set as his deadline. Luis Guzman co-stars as Ryder's insider accomplice. John Turturro pops up as a hostage negotiator and the late and very great James Gandolfini gets to play basically Mayor Giuliani, but he's only called the mayor in the movie. And that's he's a, just the mayor. I love he's it. Just the mayor. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot he was in this and he's really great in it. He's always great. Like I, I do think that like casting in both of these movies is just like perfect. It's like, yeah. Any movie like, that happy is both to John Turturro everyone. and James Gandolfini and Louise Guzman. I mean, come yeah. On. Cause Turturro sort of like the Kilmer in the last movie. You're like, well, this, yeah. this movie had John Turturro in it and you can like kind of forget his his role's a little more important find a movie where John Turturro is not great it's impossible well this movie has a slightly lower rating it's at 51 percent has anyone seen the original yes I saw it a long time ago so it's really great I just don't remember much about it but I remember liking it yeah I just watched both of them for the first time last year I think Denzel as the mouth out part is like really cool it's like oh okay that's like that's really fun I don't know if in 2009 I was like as game for it because I I like old movies a lot because I didn't have friends growing up (laughs) 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 so I really like I have like a lot of affection for like old movies and I was really skeptical of like remakes for a long time and now I'm I'm like way less proud 
precious because I'm like, well, if it sucks, no one has to fucking remember it, you know? Like, who gives a shit? And the thing is, like, this one is good and the tweaks that they make between the movies are pretty inspired. And, like, listen, John Travolta as, like, this kind of bad guy always works for me. Like, I just want to point out that I fucking think Travolta is so fun in this movie. um, He is so fun in this movie. This might be my favorite Travolta performance i just why are bad guys not like this anymore like this is like the last hurrah of like the fucking campy over the top unhinged white dude who's just like gets to chew scenery have a blast he's got a fucking cross earring like this fucked up goatee love that he went to federal prison and came out this like hardened fucking criminal after like nine years he's all tatted up and shit and he's like i'm gonna hijack a train (laughs) like literally like almost a second he gets out right yeah Yeah, like he's out for two weeks and he's like let's do it (laughs) it's like i would i would have to like eat so much like weird food and then like get fucked and then be like oh yeah 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 i need to plan this shit and that would take me six months but fucking writer does it like the second he's out he like gets i think he was multitasking i think he was definitely fucking i mean he they also talk about how he like took a a model to iceland for a weekend that's like a oh yeah point. that's such a great little that's how point. they realize that he's like a stockbroker they're like who takes a model to iceland for a weekend Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one option here. <laughs> I mean, you have to be impressed with someone who could plan a robbery of that scale in two fucking weeks or whatever <laughs> I know. Well, I'm assuming that, like, I'm assuming that he was planning part of it from jail, mm-hmm. like with Luis Guzman, because Luis Guzman's character is like his insider, who in the original movie is played by Martin Balsam. And like, was it he gets fired? Well, he also goes to jail for manslaughter because he took a bunch of cough syrup while driving one of the trains yep. and killed two people. I, he only gets a few years. It's like it eh, happens. <laughs> John Travolta like, goes to jail for a longer sentence yeah. for like insider trade. <laughs> It is like the only like like person on Wall Street to go down for insider trading. <laughs> so I'd be pissed off too. Listen, if everybody was doing a bunch of illegal shit and I was the guy who had to be like the fall oh, for guy, sure. I'd be like, I'm gonna fucking rob a train. This is bullshit. Wait, Max. So it sounds like you just you watched the original more recently than I have. Is there the B plot that Walter Matthau's character no. has? Okay, so like that is like the genius. Of, like I think that that I think that's a great touch. Addition, yeah. Because yeah. I was gonna say I think that Walter Matthau has to play it like too. I mean, it's weird to describe Matthau as like saccharine, but like that character is like just oh, like overly moral. Where it's like yeah. what part of what makes this movie work is that like in some ways you agree with writer and its hero who like again like the, the crime that he committed. I kind of understand it. So like before the movie opens, Denzel Washington Washington's character like took a bribe from a train company so the MTA would go with their trains but it was already the train that he was going to pick anyway because they were the best trains and he just really needs $35,000 to like yeah. pay for his kids college I mean, I shoplift from Target. Like, <laughs> by the time I'm in the ground, I hope to have like <laughs> stole 35k worth of Dr. Bronner's. Like, I really, yeah. really hope so. And so you know, like, I oh. think that's what's great about it. It's like because that's like the Tony's got like working class touch where it's like these two guys yeah. who both come from like different worlds, but like they're both desperate because they've both been kind of betrayed by the system that they work within. And Travolta is more of like obviously more of the complex villain where it's like, okay, he's he was on Wall Street. He's a piece of shit. This also comes out at a time like during like Occupy Wall Street, right in like the beginning of the Obama era. And like, you have this guy who's like rightfully pissed off that he's like, I was the fall guy for this. And like, I mm-hmm. want what's mine essentially because everybody else is still working except for me. And then yeah, Denzel's character is like, yeah, I took a bribe, but like, 
I was going to do it anyway, but also like, fuck it. Like I'm underpaid. Like I'm just like a public servant. Like I'm just like working this fucking job and like, I need money for my kids and shit. Who the fuck wouldn't? So they're both relatable plights. Mm -hmm. And so it's like automatically easy to get behind both of them in a way. And like the most tense scene is probably the scene because you've already seen Ryder like kill a couple people is the scene where like he forces Denzel Washington's character to like admit to that he did take the bread in order to save that kid's life. And that is like the most intense that I think that you feel in the movie. And I think it's good they don't make him somebody who's, you know, oh, I'm not going to kill, but I'll do all this, whatever. Because it adds yeah. to it where if he was too morally opposed to killing, then the tension kind of drops off. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, like, okay, he's not going to do anything that's super bad or whatever that- Like, you probably know that he's not going to kill the kid. Yeah. Like, like it's weird how, like, action movies, you're like, okay, you're going to die. You're not going to Unless you're watching RoboCop 2. That's true. (laughs) I mean, my favorite little, like, detail of the hostages is the dude who's, like, kind of, like, Zoom calling, like, proto-Zoom calling with his girlfriend. And, and she's like babe and, but it's also how they're able to like see the train car because they're able to like hack into yeah. that so it's yeah. like it's useful but then like her character at the end of the movie it's like it's just like babe just say that you love me too <laughs> 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 I thought that was so funny <laughs> I was like who is this poor actress that has to like play this hot shrew that picks a fight with her boyfriend that could maybe get him killed what yeah. is she done says <laughs> and the first thing she does is like flash her tits to him while yeah, he's yeah. like on a train she's like oh can the other people on the train see my tits <laughs> and he's like babe, and then in the you? fight she's like well he's like I'm just really dressed right now babe because he's like on the floor <laughs> with a <the> guy <laughs> walking around with an hostage. assault rifle yeah he's like babe I'm just really like stressed it's and she's not like, a good time right she's now. like it would it would just be it would it's shorter to say I love you too than to say all that and I was like, whoa, I want to embody this kind of like hot girl energy that it doesn't matter who you are and what you have going on in your life, including getting held hostage. It's not important if I, if I don't feel love. He just wants yeah. a man who was willing to get shot for something. Yeah. Yeah. Are yeah. you willing like- to die for this relationship? I don't know. Like, this is another one that like I didn't watch because I think it was referred to as like, oh, it's just like lesser Tony Scott. And like, I don't know, man. I think this is like super fucking fun. The opening credits, first of all, are on for so long yeah <laughs> they're like 10 minutes and it's just intercut with just random verses from 99 problems by jc which is so fucking amazing yeah well, really great setup of new york yes great system. Mm-hmm. the people that are writing it getting you to care for a bunch of people who you don't know shit about but they still make it work and and then he did his research he put together this real world that works piece by piece yeah and then and then it, it just also really funny at times like the gandolfini introduction as the mayor is hilarious yeah. Where the guy on the train is like oh you're not such a douchebag after all and he's kind of just like his face just <laughs> drops almost it's so good it's so good i really i love that scene um because, he, he's like, gotta be though, like a giuliani bloomberg i feel like combo yeah. almost because it's like the whole thing of like he works for a dollar a year and he's like it's an honest living <laughs> <laughs> but even though his character like like he's the butt of like probably the most jokes in this movie like yep. even the characters that are sort of that the movie is like kind of skewering James Gandolfino is still like you still have like some compassion for the guy like you still don't necessarily like 
want him anything bad to happen to him. You see that he's in like a bad situation that he just really hasn't had to like think about. Like, and John Turturro's character too. I think the movie like at the beginning is kind of like making fun of this hot shot. And then when they're in the helicopter, you you feel like so much for him. Like he's just like, he. I think that's like a testament to both of those guys. Like especially Gandolfini because the mirror is like so clearly like the Giuliani embodiment and like Giuliani is just like, yeah, yeah, he's just like the ghoul of 9-11. Like he's just like haunting all of us for ever because like at one point we were all just like this guy is the best and like yeah. you brought everyone together and you're like no this guy always was like yeah. horrible <laughs> but I mean like something that I like I probably like Deja Vu a little bit more than this movie but something that I do like about this one is like in the, in the first movie that we talked about Denzel's character is sort of like a hot shot that knows where he is at all times like he's he's very with it and right. in this movie he is like a family man that was just like an MTA operator that like gets caught up with this guy and so when they try to make to lead the situation like that's when someone dies first and like need this guy back so you know literally sits like, down for five minutes and then he yeah. gets a cop killed and i oh, love yeah. travolta's line to the cop before he shoots him he's like we all knew you were going to be the first one to go in here. yeah <laughs> <laughs> well and then like yeah denzel is like his character's not even out of the building and they like get him back you know it's supposed to be 60 minutes and you you know how long a runtime is and, and the only way to like up the ante because these two people are kept apart for like most of the movie is to make writer demand that he gets to like basically like me <laughs> Denzel's character and so Denzel's really character him. that like tension raise like works so well because you can tell he's terrified he calls his wife and has like the sweetest most awkward conversation and then in the helicopter he just looks fucking terrified and Turturro is I love John Turturro Turturro's character he's saying that he's going to be fine but you can tell that like that that character thinks that Denzel's character is going to die like everyone thinks that he's not going to make it and it's like a really yeah and you didn't you weren't really like in love with Turturro's character before that but in that scene I was like fucking love this guy because he's like you know you don't have to do this and (laughs) this and this and this but everyone knows that he's going to and that he probably won't come out i also like um sort of the cat the guilt aspect of it in the movie where they very obviously talk Mm -hmm. about it but it's also in the imagery and there's some really sick fucking shots of the i i want to say like brain drenched shots of the subway car yeah like there's some really really good shots of like john travolta behind this rain drench yeah it's like a church church windows in many ways so yeah yeah as it, especially with like the, the red and green reflecting lights of the subway, it just works really well in the Catholic guilt section of it. Uh, it's in that sense, like Deja Vu, I think, is not religious in that way for the most part. Although I guess there's like some other There's like talk of faith and, and yeah. So maybe and Jim yeah. Caviezel just saying like, it's my destiny. But this one feels like, it from all angles in, in many ways. And right. uh, less, so there that part is really, and I'm a sucker for Catholic guilt movies, guilt movies in general. <laughs> um, but, so it works in this case, but it's also because nobody takes themselves too seriously. And you never really know, you're, you're never really sure what John Travolta is ever about any given point. Right. He's so subject to like switch on a dime and, yeah this change course um so it always keeps you on your feet but that i think it was still stays fairly prevalent all to the end up until even like their like showdown so is yeah. this r-rated yeah yeah this okay. one's r-rated i like, mean john travolta says it fuck is a, a lot oh yeah yeah you're right he sells fuck a lot and like i get i think like when spoiler like louise guzman gets shot it's like pretty graphic in comparison to Deja yeah because of fucking mouth which is like so scary to know that like some sniper could just like have his like mark on you and a fucking subway rack could go up his that was pants and he could just kill you um I have a question is John Travolta doing some weird like code switching in this movie 
because I feel like he when has he some talks like to stank himself, on his voice. Yeah, I think he, he I does think this he, like motherfucker. Like he yeah, he sounds like which I know is like Tarantino a Travolta touch. <laughs> no, it sounds like when Quentin Tarantino is like interviewed by people who aren't white. Quentin yeah. Tarantino played the villain. <laughs> you can get my fucking money, all right? You might fucking start killing. Um, <laughs> He's a weirdo, but at the same time, I also think that might be just him trying to. I think that is just that's what he thinks New Jersey sounds like. So I think mm-hmm. he's trying to do it because I think he gets. A, a, his character at one point gets friended like watch your mouth i'm from jersey or i was born in jersey right I'm, also I mean, this movie pronounces that's how like Mac- jersey <laughs> <laughs> i did my research <laughs> but this movie like it, it says out loud what you were talking about caviezel's character in the last one like it doesn't like say it out loud but this movie says several times like this guy's not a terrorist he's white and then people were yeah, like yeah. and then his wife is like he's a terrorist yeah. <laughs> like his wife has like one scene where she's on the phone and she's like so good she's like yeah no he's a terrorist did you see his goatee that's not a terrorist yeah 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 travolta has a line that's so that i just can't get out of my head after he is yelling at about Gandolfini not coming down to get shot in place of these 17 people, which like I think is a great proposition because that really does like, because you know that like if somebody hijacked something in New York and they were like, tell Giuliani to come down here and like, if we can put a bullet in his head, we'll give you all 17 of these people. Giuliani mm-hmm. would be like, no fucking way. <laughs> like, there's no fucking way. I just love that proposition. But then when Travolta loses it after that phone call, he's talking about the mayor and he says, he says, he could lick my bum hole, motherfucker. <laughs> just goes off the way he says bum hole. Yeah. So that's what made me, yeah, of course, because so it's followed upsetting. by motherfucker. But I was like, why would this person say bum hole? But it's a good it choice. It really works st- with Travolta. Yeah. It sticks in your head. You're like, okay. Hey guy, like I also I love there's another point too, like right after that, where they're talking about the mayor and like this affair that he had that is like kind of like a controversial thing for him right now. And I just love it that somebody afterwards like asked the mayor, uh, they asked Gandolfini, like, was she worth it? And Gandolfini just goes, Yes. And they just move on from it. <laughs> Gandolfini is so funny. Like, like every line he delivers is way funnier than I feel like it should be at any given point. What a fucking boss, man! Yeah, that dude could fucking deliver a line. Just every single time he says something, you're you're just it's so on on the nose and on perfect. And there's always like a sense of like desperation in 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 his character. Yeah. He plays pathetic so well. Yeah. Okay, so that's what, has either one of you seen a 1993 rom-com called Mr. Wonderful starring Matt Dillon? No. No. I, I don't think it's, listen, I'm recommending it. Uh, you guys should both watch it. <laughs> okay. James Gandolfini is in it as like maybe like the fifth or sixth lead. And he is just the, he's, he's just the best part of the movie. He's like this pathetic dude that like the female lead gets set up with and and like he's not a bad guy. He's just pathetic. And like, he's so good on it. It just like made me love him like even more. Yeah, totally watch Mr. Wonderful. It's a really middling movie. I'll watch it for Matt Dillon and Gandolfini. Yeah, I was gonna say also like fucking like Matt Dillon's in it. And it's uh, it's Annabelle, I can never say her last name, Annabelle's Skioria, the woman that's in Jungle Fever. It has a great oh, okay. cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think it's like kind of like whatever with, right, right. Yeah. with a young Matt Dillon. So listen. Yeah. No, I think Gandalfini, like, especially like, you know, his last two big roles. Um, enough said is kind of like, I guess, a version of what you just said, where he's like a little kind of like sad and pathetic and like grumpy. But, um, but he but he still has like, 
you still want to fuck him. He's a teddy like, bear. You're like, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. But then, and then like killing them softly where I think he's just so fucking good and like yeah. so pathetic. He's, he's so the only good, good part of the Mexican. That movie is yes. like worth setting on fire if it wasn't for Gandalfini. <laughs> um, I thought that maybe that'd be like fun to revisit. It's not like, it doesn't matter if you're like in like a Brad Pitt Renaissance phase. Like it doesn't matter. That movie is just trash. This movie is a great fucking supporting cast. Why doesn't Luis Guzman work anymore? I feel like Luis Guzman just does. Does he it. not? I thought he does. I mean, he, he does, does, but I feel like I mean, there was a period Luis Guzman was like was in, in PTA movies. He was in so much, and he's like, in out of sight. Yeah, like he was a Soderbergh guy. He was a PTA guy. Mm-hmm. I just I feel like we just don't see him the same way that we used to. And I, I didn't know if there was a reason where he was like difficult, or I don't know why he would. Oh, be. I doubt that. Think I of Luis that. Guzman. As he difficult. seems like the chillest guy. <laughs> Luis Guzman was a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, like that's that just not really a thing. Weird. I I don't know what town he lives in, but I do know that like whatever town he or sorry what town he was born in, but I forget. But whatever whatever wherever it is, they're so proud of him that they have like erected a statue of him. <laughs> That's amazing. That's bomb. Like that's like one of the statues that like, can stay statue. forever. Yeah, it's like every city should have a. Lu- I want to go to Louise Guzman High. Like, <laughs> I love so this little guy. Yeah. yeah, like uh, my only complaint is that I wish he was in this movie a little bit more. You yeah. know, the actors on his level, they nowadays you just end up in TV versus in movies for the most yeah. part. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. where you probably get the most money yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, I feel like yeah, he also gets to wear those fucking super tight yellow sunglasses that were also in like a bunch yeah. of '90s action movies that like automatically, if that person appears, you're like, oh, that guy's tight. Mm-hmm. He's got yellow sunglasses. <laughs> Didn't you um, say that you made your mom buy you some? I did when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know like, who, <laughs> you know who wears them in Enemy of the State? Um, Will Smith. Seth Green. Seth Green. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know where my head was at. Seth Green. <laughs> um, and I was like, wow, that's tight. Maybe I'm looking too into this. I could be. Maybe Jake has just infected my brain from all this 9-11 talk on these episodes. But I feel like the conver- the interaction that Travolta and Denzel have towards the end is just like maybe like the perfect 9-11 anecdote for like post 9-11 America where like Denzel catches him on the bridge and puts a, you know, pulls a gun on him. And is like, I'm going to kill you. Like, basically, mm-hmm. like, give yourself up. Like, I don't want to shoot you, whatever. And Travolta asks him, like, does this make everything okay? And then Denzel says, no, but it's a start. That's a great final. It's so good. I think it's great. And I was like, that's actually kind of like the perfect summation of that decade. And just like how people perceive things where it was just like, is this doing anything for you? No, but like, it's something. I just need some, like, people just were so, like, bloodthirsty and were just like, I just need some sort of, like, justification for that, all of this. Or, like, you know, some sort of, like, revenge. And, like, I think that this Man on Fire and Taking a and, and Deja Vu, like, all have some version of that in it. But I just, I really love that fucking interaction. I thought it was really great. It's a good ending. At the, and at the same time, it's, like, it's so weird because, like, Denzel's basically very stationary during the, during the entire movie. And then finally he's kind of, like, standing and, and mm-hmm. promoting yeah. and doing thing. And it's, like, you're, like, what, just, just, it changes the entire like relationship between them and from like when was, denzel oh sorry when travolta realizes that denzel's better looking than him you can tell he's like, <laughs> oh yeah ah. <laughs> like, it's like it's pretty tight he has a very <laughs> similar line in broken arrow where he's the villain or no no no, no it's not in broken what am i talking about it's in face off when he first sees nicholas cage yep. <laughs> he says, another oh, movie that my gym played last week <laughs> hell yeah that's, yeah. A, good that's a better gym movie yeah. that's a great oh, no movie it was perfect it, i literally i got to the gym right after i finished this movie and i got to watch evil Travolta yeah. as this fucking rule. That movie's weird how much like the Travolta, the Nick Cage, Travolta as Nick Cage or whatever, like just like, it's like horny for his daughter and like a Kate Fear kind of way. It's an like, incredible oh, movie. I, 
I went to a Q and a of it two years ago with John Wu and it was like a John Wu retrospective. So we saw face off and then they, they talked to John Wu afterwards and they asked him about the really bizarre thing that everyone in the Travolta family does where they touch each other's faces mm-hmm, the whole mm-hmm. time. Um, and John Wu so sweet. He was like, I just thought that was something that Americans did. <laughs> <laughs> He was like, I thought that's how they showed affection. Like, I just was like, that was his impression was that he was like, no, I think that's like a sweet thing that a family would do in America. (laughs) Because it is the weirdest fucking thing in the movie. At the end too, when they bring the kid home and like when the kid comes, the new kid who's like part of the family now and Dominic Swain, the daughter even goes up to the kid and touches his face and the whole audience lost it. What's going on? <laughs> oh my god, what a beautiful movie! Yeah, but yeah, I, I love Travolta when he sees Denzel and he says how good looking he is because it does take yeah. him back to him telling Nicolas Cage, You're hot. <laughs> I mean, in yeah. that movie, <laughs> he wasn't wrong. Yeah, I want to say, I want to say that was probably improvised too. Like, I think, I, oh, I, it has I, to be. Yeah. I feel yeah. like Tony Scott lets his actors like kind of off the off the leash a little bit, especially like, yeah, like when you see Denzel's like micro expression or like, yeah, it's, yeah, he's so fucking good. I do want to like shout out the opposite of whatever an opposite of a shout out is the cop that just like puts a gun in one of the money bags and then puts a zip tie on it and is like, you're good. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what if he can't get that? Bad. like i'm like no i can think of 10 reasons why this could go wrong yeah. I, you're good i put a little zip tie on it <laughs> i absolutely fucking love that that because it's a tony scott movie too like the whole transportation of the money by the cops across town to the train station has to turn into like fucking just like an obstacle course where all these cops are like just getting hit by yeah. cars <laughs> The car, the cop car getting hit and then flipping over the bridge. Cops are generally very, very stupid in Tony Scott movies, which I appreciate. He gets it. Yeah. He's like, listen, the technology is, is very scary. And these cops are fucking stupid. And Denzel's very handsome. He knows what we want. Do you think there's like, there's like a little bit of duality in his career, I guess, with these two movies that we talked about where like Deja, like we had Enemy of the State, which... I want to, was very cynical about surveillance technology and then Deja Vu. So in Deja Vu, the surveillance aspect, there was a little bit of light in it in the sense that there was a positive outcome from it. But for Enemy of the State, it was really dark. It was, there was nothing positive. It was just right. for, for the most part, right? And coincidentally, that one also came before not like 9-11. So I'm almost curious if he was afraid of going down that route afterwards or making it super too cynical in the same way where that he thought the right. backlash should be right it wow. shows that like there can be some good that can come out of this essentially but mm-hmm. i don't so, know i guess that's a good point and i don't obviously know like tony scott's politics I, I don't i know he was a very like extreme guy and lived a very big life um you know just yeah. always like smoking cigars and fucking just like kind of a larger than life personality yeah. but no i think that's a great point and that yeah like enemy of the state it is very cynical and very like and obviously it's like a it more of a riff on like the conversation i don't know i guess like it's hard here because i do feel like i don't think that he's outright like co-signing like this technology in deja vu i think he does seem very like apprehensive of it and i but i think that of course like that romantic nature of him and the especially the romance with Paula Patton and Denzel. Like, I think in order to sell that romance, the technology itself has to feel slightly romantic Mm -hmm. and like... Mm -hmm. And how he's able to survey, like survey her, and it almost feels like that aspect of it almost feels like apolitical. Where it's like I don't even know. That's what I remember, like the Dark Knight thing, where it's like in the Dark Knight, something yeah. like that. It feels almost like it's really like fucking like this is great that we have this, and like this is a good like a force for good. It seems a little like muddier or complicated in Deja Vu. Yeah, and then another thing I want, like I I always appreciate. So I, I've so I've always thought. And I think that's pretty apparent in his work that Tony Scott is definitely, if he's not outright pro-union, he believes in workers uniting and working together in whatever sense. But there's also 
like smaller aspects of his movies or I guess larger aspects because they're big plot points that people in the movies tend to bond over situations of work, whether it's bonding through whatever reason. In Deja Vu, there is a certain level of chemistry that he has with these nerds in the room that are like running this technology for him where he kind yeah. of develops some sort of friendship with them. And then the technology side of it where the him and Paula Patton and how they combine. And in this case, you have this relationship using technology again in Pelham between Travolta and Denzel, where they at the very worst have mutual respect and in, in a yeah. better like they seem to like each other but for all intent purposes, right? And then there's that workers bond where like they both have gotten fucked over in some side by their respective industries, but they do not like they can kind of they can relate to that, they can relate to each other. And then you see it in a few of the other movies that are based on those same things, like you know, he goes on to make Unstoppable and that is very for sure Denzel and Chris Pine and that are clearly bonding not only over work but like the actual physical nature of the work that they're doing that's you know running this train line right so it's, right. it's so apparent in a lot of his movies where he takes this idea of workers either getting to know each other or working via the things that they're doing and and that it's like always a strong point and there's almost never any situation where management helps that situation right they're always the ones fucking it up they come in and they mess up every single situation and yeah. anytime they make something they fuck it up right so it's always, I've always that's why because it's because of that i've always taken tony scott as a very pro-union director i guess in his storytelling and how he utilizes relationships between characters to, to do that too so i did not take a bribe all right i was accused of taking a bribe i have not been proven guilty yet. Well, they haven't said yet. I mean, they haven't decided. That well, they, I don't. They got no proof. I don't care what they decide. They, they don't need. It doesn't matter whether they. And then is this when they day. demoted you? That's correct. They demoted me pending uh, the outcome. And now they're trying to humiliate you. Is that right, motherfuckers? I'm innocent. Oh, you're innocent. Look, no, you're talking to a Catholic man. We've been over innocent before. Okay. Look, now, I've been through all this, man. So just tell me, how did you do it? I didn't do it. All right, so critics, so this has a 51%. Surprisingly, only a slightly higher audience score, 52%. I, I don't know why I figured this would have a higher one than Deja Vu, but maybe. I think people maybe. dislike Travolta in like an intense way, and they don't want to admit that. That's like, true. Fun. Did you know that Nicolas Cage was offered the part first? Fuck me, that would have been cool. I think Travolta is the better version. There's something about Travolta and Denzel uh, that works for me, even though Nicolas Cage obviously would have been a blast. I don't know. I just like, I think, I think you're right. Like you got the performance that you wanted, but like, I think that Nick Cage just always makes like, just like such interesting choices. Like I just saw Valley Girl again in the, in, in like a theater situation, like a screening of it. And like, even back then, just like tiny little choices. Like he can like make the throwaway line, like incredible. So like, I just don't think that we have, we don't, we don't know what we lost, but, I'm happy with what we have. That's all I'm saying. All right, critics. So um, Andrew Harris, Salon, <laughs> just called it disposable crap. Uh, Austin Chronicle said it's loud, abrasive, and featuring performances seemingly calibrated to be heard over the cacophonous roar of Travolta's mad, bad overacting. It's a movie about fucking trains. It's supposed to, like, you can have a quiet. Yeah, don't eat Scott movie. Okay, Come on. Sure. Nathan Raven of the AV Club John Travolta's wildly successful post-comeback crusade to become synonymous with crap continues with Tony Scott's bracingly awful remake, Desecration of the Classic 70s Thriller. And Anthony Lane of the New Yorker said, can a director be arrested for the attempted hijack of our emotions? I, I don't understand like, being that mad about like this movie. Mad, I don't understand. Yeah, it's yeah. like, that, like, that should be the review for Crash. Like, yeah, I'm like, I don't understand how you can like be that angry with like a Tony Scott remake of the Taking of Pelham 123 where John Travolta has a fucking cross earring and 
is just like <laughs> calling everyone movie. motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. Also, it's a movie. Please hijack my emotions. I want a movie to hijack. Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's please, I'm I... sick of my own. You can have yeah. that. <laughs> um, also, I'm just like, what emotions are you talking about? Like, it's not like an emotionally. Like... Yeah, that's the other thing. Is like, it's not. <laughs> it's not like preying on our emotions. I don't understand. Like the, the most <laughs> emotional thing he does is buy milk. <laughs> yeah, he's like, why I mean, can't did I get you notice the, he the still just gets a half gallon? Yeah, she's fine. We got to save our money. <laughs> Let's see. Um, Deborah Ross of the Spectator said, "This is pointless, redundant, irrelevant filmmaking." Uh, film. Uh, wait, she fucked up. She fucked up. She left she out a word. Up. She fucked up. This is a pointless, redundant, irrelevant film remaking in which nothing of weight is ever at stake and no relationships are ever formed. I think there's a great relationship formed at the heart of yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, Deborah. No, it's it's like bromance out of sight. This was Tony Scott in the Apatow era. This was him doing a bromance. He was like, yeah. I, I know how to do this. Yeah. Little White Lies said it's juvenile, hyperactive, obstreperous, and obnoxious. Roger Ebert didn't go for this one. He said, in fact, the whole film is less juicy than the original. The 1974 version took place in a realistic, well-worn New York City. This version occupies a denatured action movie landscape with no time for local color and a transit system control room that humbles mission control. These sleek, modern actioners don't give the audience credit for much patience and curiosity. One star or the other has to be on the screen in almost every scene. The relentless pace can't be slowed down for much dialogue, especially for supporting characters. It has, it all has to be mindless, implausible action. I just I, don't, I disagree a lot. That. I disagree. I disagree, guys. I also think um, a gritty version of this movie would not have worked because New York wasn't gritty at the time. Post 9-11 New York was very ungritty. It's very and, clean. Yeah, it's very yeah, like the whole gritty. like, oh, Giuliani's great because he fucking killed every homeless person in New York City to make the streets clean. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like it's like if you if they made the same movie, but everything was graffiti everywhere. And like, yeah, which, which made a lot of sense for the other. like the Exactly. Version. Yeah, it's a uh, gritty. Yeah, and I think it reflects in the bad guy, like John Travolta is a Wall Street guy in the era mm-hmm. when we're talking about like all this shit happening with Wall Street and the big banks. So it made a lot of sense to remake it that way. The best remakes usually, I think, are remakes that like take sort of like like Ocean's Eleven is a great example. It takes something that was like always kind of silly and like never that prestige, and it was like okay, we're gonna slap some paint on it and like make it maybe like more interesting in like this specific way. But mm-hmm. it's not doing. I'm just gonna <laughs> say one more time that. Candyman is terrible. <laughs> One person who did like this though was Peter oh. Travers of Rolling Stone. And his I love his review. It's a very Peter Travers uh headline. Trains. Yeah, he, it's it's very much written. It's like uh, written by the king of like, please just put my quote on the poster of your movie. Mm-hmm. Peter Travers said this movie hits you like 600 volts from a sparking third rail. Damn straight, it's electrifying. Oh my god, choo-choo. <laughs> wow. Like, oh. For some reason, I remember growing up and like when I would look at movies like in like the newspaper, like the reviews on all the action movies i feel like nine out of ten times like all of them were just like a white knuckle slam bang thriller wow <laughs> that was like every fucking action movie and i was like wow what is white knuckle slam bang mean that must mean it's tight like i should yeah, yeah, see yeah. this a um, death grip thriller yeah, wow this movie will fucking kill you <laughs> um yeah so <laughs> All right, Courtney. Do you think you you said that Denzel was the MVP, right? You said for both. Yeah, of I mean, one? kind of, but like again, like I, I, oh, I, the supporting cast of this one, like a little bit more. Like I really love Gandolfini here, and like I can't tell you enough, like how much I love John Turturro as an actor. I think he's he's great. So, like 
even though I know that everyone loves him, I do think he's underrated. And I think that he probably eats pussy really well. <laughs> While we're on the subject, I bet James Gandolfini ate some good pussy. Oh, for sure. I for bet sure, he ate sure. pussy the way he say, ate like yeah. a bowl of ice cream on The Sopranos. I feel like he he did it with that kind of like tenderness and love and affection. And Gandolfini for me, just because I think he has such a funny entrance and it's hard to go against Zenzo and Travolta, like in, in the sense of they have really good chemistry, but yeah, Gandolfini is just, he stands out and I feel yeah. like we've seen mm-hmm. him so yeah, definitely him. Gotta give it to Travolta. I just, I think Travolta yeah. brings an energy to this that you kind of need. I, I just miss actors just starting at a 10 in mm-hmm. a movie like this and just fucking finding ways to go higher. All right. Final rating? I'm the same as last time. I'm like, it's really pretty good. I would totally watch it again happily. I'm not going to go big on this one, but I think this is a good movie. I think it's just like a solid fucking good movie. Yeah, I'm a pretty good here because I only know that there's a better train movie directed by Tony Scott that stars Denzel. (laughs) Yes. That came out a few years later after this that I I appreciate a little bit more. So with that one, if we talked about that, that's a big, but yeah, I I, I say pretty good with a lot of watchability factor. So For sure. But yeah, next week, we'll be wrapping up our 9-11 at the Movies miniseries. The only way we know how, by celebrating the most awe-inspiring, epic, vile mayhem known as Michael Bay's Bad Boys 2. We'll be joined by devoted Bayhem fan, Logan Kenny, to discuss what might be uh, the best irresponsible movie ever made you'll never I've never seen it I've only never seen, seen bad it? boys no I know and it's like you you guys talk it up so much that I I'm just like I've been waiting know that it's like two hours and 45 minutes I know which is I know. why it's the only movie we're doing next week it is a three-hour epic of just carnage and just the worst possible things happening but right now we have to say thank you so much and farewell to you Abid Anwar for coming onto the show again do you want people to find you online and if so how yeah yeah do they get more of you yeah, they can and they can add me on Twitter um, at abid underscore ism. I I'm not that active anymore, I think. But like whatever, if you if I do get active again or go through a life change where I feel like I need to tweet a lot, I will definitely. Mm-hmm. And as always, it's really really fun to be on this. And then I love having shit talking movies today, so it's super fun. So thanks for having me again. Of course, yeah. anytime. We love having you on. Also follow us on social media, oh, on yeah. Instagram, on Twitter, on Apple Podcasts. Write us a nice review. Spotify, over Overcast. Yeah, all of them. Everything. Just follow yeah. us. We appreciate it. Do everything for us. And yeah, thank you for listening. I'm missing, trying to dismiss ya. For my mind, I'll leave a people off.